Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. How much time, energy, and resources have you invested in helping someone that's struggling with an addiction only to watch them keep going back to it? You don't want to give up on them, but you're fast giving up hope that they'll ever change. Well, you can step off the addiction roller coaster and find a solution that'll work for both of you. Join addiction experts, hosts of the popular podcast, The Addiction Solution, and authors of The Freedom Model for Addictions, Mark Sharon, and me, Michelle Dunbar, to learn a solution that'll provide you and your loved one freedom from the addiction battle for good. It's called Families Moving Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a three-hour live online free event where you'll hear information about addiction we guarantee you've never heard before. So if you love someone struggling with an addiction, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll, click the link provided and register soon for the date that works for you because each masterclass will only have 50 participants. We'll see you at the class. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we wrote, hold on, I got it right here. <laughs> the freedom model for addictions and the freedom model for the family now you'll notice we we're going to be looking down because we have a different setup here because of the master class just the way the studio is set up um so uh we're looking at a different screen so i realize it might be goofy so we might be going back and forth that's temporary uh, that's only for those who are on YouTube, because obviously most people are just listening to this, which right. which I prefer. <laughs> so, so the reason I say that is we're going to have a new studio here in the next uh, month or two, uh, completely different setup in a different building, and we're very excited about that. Yes. Um, but for now, it's just having to hack it's together us in, in this, front of the fireplace yeah. at the retreat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, what are we talking about today? Well, what we're going to talk about today is, uh, well, the reasons that relationships become so strained, um, why that is in part the fault of the current addiction treatment model, the current family addiction treatment model really is a divide and conquer model. Yeah. So um, we were talking about topics. And we've touched on the family uh, throughout different podcasts, but we've never just focused directly on exactly how the treatment industry divides and conquers families and why they do that right. and how that developed. How did that start? I know some history about that um, and and how most people, most therapists don't even realize they're doing it. 
Right. Um, and I would suspect that like everything, I want to frame it out that most treatment centers or the people that are actually helping quote unquote, the family or talking to them, they they're taught this stuff and they don't know that they're harming families. They, no. they really believe that fundamentally the family needs to be separate from the user or in their, what they would call the drug addict, right? The addict. And that, that they need to separate those people. They need to parse them out so that um, the addict can get well. That's, right. that's sort of what's, what's told. And at first flush, when you look at it, you go, huh? Yeah, I suppose so. Because it's been kind of a shit show, right? The right. family dynamic a lot of times is, is a painful one. Um, and it's not working. So, uh, but in a lot of cases, the family is fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we, we need to talk about, we that. need look at we, the idea that every single relationship of a heavy substance user is bad is, is not true. I mean, we've worked with many people with drug and alcohol problems who had great relationships with their family. They weren't isolated. Um, they just had this preference for, for heavy use. And when you look at the, the families that have, that are strained, many times, if you talk to them and you go back through their history, the strained part of the relationship came in with the idea that, that, you know, me as the mom, I have to control my son or me as the wife, I have to, you know, save my husband from himself. And where does that idea come from? But it comes from the treatment industry. It comes from the, which emanated from the 12 step program. Yeah. Or I'm going to, I'm going to give another example. That's a little different than what she just said. Um, so sometimes like in the case of my family, the fan, I remember being very young and my parents were together then. Yes. And it was in a town called Post and Kill, New York. And we all lived under one roof. And I remember being a pretty happy kid. And I have memories of my mother and I have my memories of my dad. I also remember my mom uh, when I was about four to five years old going to her meetings, which was a relatively new thing at that point. And two years later, when I was seven or six or seven years old, um, my parents split up and my mom left. Uh, and most of that I later came to understand was a result of AA. Yeah. So it gave her a pass. It gave her a way out of, a, according to her, an unhappy marriage. Um, and, uh, so, so sometimes, sometimes treatment is the vehicle that is used, that is actively used by the substance user, by, by the substance user, in this case, my mother to say, bye-bye. I don't really want to be a mother of 12 children. She didn't. It was, I, I, it's funny because I talked to my older siblings and they have a very different take. But by the time I came around, I could tell that my mother was totally uninterested in my life at all. She was con consumed with herself right? and, and her agendas. Um, and she just, it was all about her. So, but, but for whatever reason, my mother needed that. So she found that in treatment. Treatment allowed her to focus on herself and, and frankly, be a very selfish person. Well, it, it, what it did, like uh, our stories are similar in that respect, because my dad went to a, when I was, when I was nine, 
or 10 that, that year. It was the year I turned 10. Um, and, and what, and I too have memories of my parents being happier together before he went to AA. Um, because what, what it did for him was it made him believe that, that he was different, that he was so extremely different than my mother, than the children, than other people in his life that he was, was close to, you know, my grandparents, you know, that he, this, because he was an alcoholic, he was kind of this special class of person. And the only people that could understand him were other alcoholics. And so there was no possible way that we could understand him. So it started this process of him bringing people into our lives that were, you know, like him, where we would have strange men coming and staying with us, which as you know, in this day and age, when you're, you have young kids in the house, that's dangerous to do. That's a dangerous game that you're playing. But in his mind, it didn't matter because his service work to these people that could understand him was all that mattered because all that mattered was he had to put everything behind his sobriety. Yeah. You know, and, and that meant his marriage, his children, and even his career at times, which he was very monetarily motivated. So the career stayed pretty high on his priority list. Um, but, but, but that's what it is. It, it, it makes people believe that you're special, you're different and nobody else can understand you. Yeah. So that, that builds a whole model around, well, let's go now back to the treatment industry. So. Mm. So it starts with what Michelle just described because AA is the core of the treatment industry, right? That's it emanates the treatment industry emanates from the 12 step model. And so eventually what happened was treatment centers started to catch on that. Well, there's money to be made. Oh yeah. Lots of it. Yeah. And, and then family programs came Mm. in parallel. You'd bring your loved one in and they could upsell to the family. And then what happened was like so many things in the treatment industry, um, it became about funding. It just simply cut and dry became all about how can we make our bottom line for the investor better? And that was by making the family sick. So it drifted into this weird, really strange place where you're telling the family that they have, I've actually, they, I actually had a friend of mine's parents go to counseling at a rehab. And they said they were all alcoholics and nobody, none of the parents or anything drunk. I had a friend like that. That happened too. Yeah. They, they're just a different style of alcoholic. And they were like, what the, what are you talking about? And then they morphed it into, well, alcoholism is a state of mind and family disease. Yeah. It's a family disease. That's where things get really hinky and, and strange. Um, and, Eventually, they had the entire family on medications. Yep. They had them wrapped into uh, family counseling, individual counseling, and it was all in this one clinic. And it it literally destroyed people's lives. Yeah. And I watched that family disintegrate like mine did. My mother became a counselor, and, and she was never the same. Well, you know? It, you know, because part of it is, like, I do remember being a child – And my mother was going to Al-Anon and we were going to, at some point they had us going to Alateen meetings like twice a week. Right. I did did that. And, and 
to me, what it looked like, because now by now I'm like 11 or 12. And to me, what these meetings looked like was, we're going to teach you how to behave so that your daddy doesn't relapse into his disease. So it became like my, my sister and I were like 10 and she's like 10, I'm 12 years old. Like all of a sudden we felt this burden of responsibility that somehow it's our responsibility when he behaves badly. Like that is our fault. That is my mother's fault. And, and I grew up thinking that. So anytime my father had his outbursts of, of violence, cause he, that didn't go away because he quit drinking. Um, anytime he had these outbursts of violence, I would blame my mother. Yeah. You know, and I was learning this all through this whole idea that y- you as a family member are responsible somehow for that person's behavior. You know, so, so how is it that a family, here's a question for the, for the audience. So how is it that the family falls for this, right? Mm. How is it that, that we all of a sudden get wrapped up in all this nonsense? And I can tell you that probably the number one reason is guilt. Yeah. That everybody and and fear. That's right. Yeah. That's good. That's a good point. Probably fear first. Um, Fear of the addict dying. Yep. Right. The 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 substance user uh, going off the deep end. Fear of the confusion, the violence, maybe the car accidents, the legal trouble, the marriage disintegrating, all these things. So you you look at this situation that's incredibly frustrating and mm. um, sad, and people are desperate. People yeah. are desperate. They'll start believing in just about anything, and especially when a quote unquote professional says it. I've met so many counselors. I just got to digress for a second <laughs> that I've met so many counselors that were so obviously incompetent oh, and just yeah. dumb, just really dumb. And I remember being in counseling as a kid, probably 12, 13 years old. And then I went for a stint when I was 15 as well. And another stint when I was 16 and each time I was like, this person has no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> like, like yes. this is really yes. stupid stuff. And it was just, they would say, they would, you know, inquire about something. I'd be, I would be thinking, no, no, but I'd play along just to, right. because it was embarrassing. <laughs> it was like, you're, you're, you're cringy. I, 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 I don't even believe anything I, you're I, saying. Right. I, I can remember meeting one of dad's friends who was a woman um, from a, she was in AA. She was one of his friends from AA. It was all, all very strange back then. And she was a counselor and she was, uh, well, I found out later that uh, weird things, but anyways, I, I won't, I won't go into that. Um, but, but I remember thinking that, but when you're 15, you kind of think all adults are stupid, but she was particularly Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like the things yeah, that she was saying and, and like, it, it was like the late seventies, early eighties and everybody was a little bit ridiculous back then, but she was, I just, I can't even remember. Oh, I remember her just gushing about my father to me. Like he's a special man. And you know, you, you, you really need to make sure that he's, you know, that, that you're doing everything you're told to make sure that, that he, he stays on the path he's on because, because he's a very special man. And I thought I, it would just made me uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, yeah. like super uncomfortable. It was just all very strange that whole time. Well, they would, they would ask me questions that obviously had 
the answer was no, I, I didn't experience that. No, I didn't experience that. No, I didn't experience that in my head. And I'd say, oh, yeah, I get it, you know. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, just get get me out of here, you know. Oh, God. And so I went to Alateen, too. And I, I think I went to two and I was, my mother was just pushing and pushing and oh, pushing. Oh, I know. And, and she had already left my father for, for my stepdad who was in AA. They had, they had an affair and, and, um, and he ended up being a good guy. He, he, he was probably a better dad than my dad was. So I got lucky that way. But, uh, but boy, oh boy, was it, was it destructive? So what, what they do is they, they, they pin responsibility mm-hmm. and we cover this in our master class. Uh, they pin the responsibility of somebody else's actions and habits on you. Yeah. And then they pin, you know, your actions on somebody else. So, you know, the parent is responsible for the kid. The kid is responsible for the parent's sobriety, or at least in some way, uh, yeah, they are. And you got to be a good kid. You got to not make any additional stress on dad or mom. Um, and I can remember my mother bought right into it. She would say things like, I'd say, where, where are you? I was like seven, six, seven years old, but right before she left and she'd be like, my recovery is number one. I need to not be on the family stress and which made me feel like shit because I thought, oh, I'm the reason I'm I'm stressing her out. Right. Right. I'm the reason that she can't be here. Right. And, and so that is a recipe, a universal recipe for absolute disaster because when we give our happiness to somebody else, meaning I, when I actually believe that in order for my mom to be happy, that I have to be a good kid, suddenly you're constantly thinking about what you need to do to make everybody peaceful. Yep. And that was me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the reality is we're all autonomous creatures. We're all doing our own thing. So this illusion that, that, that the treatment centers bake into the social dynamic that we're all responsible for each other. And if we don't really step on eggshells, everybody, you're, it's all going to fall apart. It's just a charade. It is. It's just a charade where everybody's trying so hard to manipulate the other person. It's a world of make-believe. Yeah. It's, it's a charade. It's a play. It's it, yes. That ev- the roles, everybody fits into their roles. And, and unfortunately it creates a dynamic that is not healthy. Uh, it, it creates, I mean, they talk about codependence. It creates it. It creates the dynamic that you believe you can manipulate other people with your behavior. Yes. That you can manipulate behavior in them by acting a certain way and doing certain things that you can make them not drink, that you can, you can somehow affect or make them drink or make them drink either way. And, and so you're always on the losing end of tap dancing for all these people. When the only happiness you have is your own, the only person you can change is yourself. And so this charade that everybody is playing and the counselors don't realize that that's what they're trained to do is to divide up all these people and build this charade. Yeah. And I want, you know, if you're out there listening, I, you know, whether you're a substance user or whether you, you've been in a relationship with a substance user, I want you to think back on your relationships with these people and, and really you'll be able to see it very clearly, um, how that stresses the relationship and how it, it is unhealthy for it. And, and where, where with the freedom model, 
you know, we kind of bring things back into the realm of reality, which is, well, the only person I can control is me. The only person's happiness I'm responsible for is my own. And when you, when you realize that and you, you get yourself in a place of knowing it's so free, like knowing that's I'm, I'm the only person I'm responsible for. Yeah. Really? It's not my responsibility. Your happiness is not my responsibility. That is your task. It's not my task. Exactly. And that's not to say. And so what people will do is they'll say, well, that's not very compassionate. And is, right. That is, sounds like it's selfish. Right. And, and well, everything is self-interest in the end, <laughs> but, but I, I think that, um, you can still be compassionate. You just have to understand that if you're compassionate, it doesn't change what that person thinks. Right. Or how or they does. act or uh, yeah, how they behave, what they do. Um, you can't, because that's manipulation. That's using compassion with the goal of manipulating that person to behave as you want yes. them to behave, which is not compassion. No, no. It's so there's a difference. What he's talking about is there's a difference between like I get up every morning before my husband, even though he has to leave first. And I get up every morning before him and I feed the, the animals, all the animals at like, you know, 530. And then I make the coffee, which which is a process because I I we like the French press. And then I make him breakfast. I don't make myself breakfast. I don't eat breakfast until much later. And and I do that every morning because I want to do it because it makes me personally happy. And even when our marriage was strained, I still did it. Not because I felt obliged to do it, but it was because it was something I liked to do every morning. Right. Too because because there's a difference between taking care of people you love in order to manipulate them to behave the way you want them to or taking care of people you love because it's what makes you personally happier that's right so your happiness what you're saying is that your happiness is your responsibility you're not handing your happiness out to that person under the condition that they behave as you want them A to behave a certain way right i'm not somebody that will say you know when we get no fight you know, you're such a selfish bastard. I make you breakfast every morning and this is what I get. I don't do that because that doesn't even enter my mind because I do, like, he doesn't ask me. You to already got the benefit of that because it's what you want to do. Exactly. Right. I hope everybody understands that there's a nuance here and sometimes it's hard to understand. Now, if I wake up in the morning and I don't, and I'm not feeling it and I'm not feeling like getting up and doing, I don't do it. And he doesn't care. Because it's not something he's ever asked me to do. It's just, I mean, we've been together 32, 33 years this year. So, so it's never something he, that he's expecting and, and he doesn't get mad if I don't get up and do it. You know what I mean? So, so it's, and I'm, and I know there are things that he does for me that he does just because he wants to do it. And it makes him happy. So, so that's what we're talking about here is when everybody understands in the relationship my behavior is my responsibility. My happiness is my responsibility. And then you go about doing that. You don't have to be hedonistic to do it. I happen to believe that people are happier in general in life when they're in positive relationships um, where they understand these things. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and we've talked about the the book, uh, The Courage to be Disliked. He talks about um Ooh. the separation of tasks, right? The, it's just a, a fancy way of saying 
uh, don't place your happiness in manipulating others. Well, and then he also talks about uh, horizontal relationships and vertical relationships. Okay. And like a vertical relationship would be a boss and an employee, right? A power hierarchy. Yep. A horizontal, like a, a vertical relationship would also be a parent and a child, a young child. But once a child gets to be in their twenties, even in their teens, the relationship has to start to make this shift to being horizontal. The only, I think the only way it can be horizontal is if you do separate the tasks. Yes. If, you do, if you do understand that your happiness is yours and their happiness is theirs. And because if you don't understand that, you're always going to be the parent or the child or the yes. boss. You know, um, if I manipulate you enough, you'll go to uh, go to rehab, right? Yep. Which is for your own good. Now you have just, however you make that happen, that's a power hierarchy. That's a power play. Right. And we talk about this in the master class as well. And that's very dissatisfying because as soon as the person leaves rehab after three days, your whole world, you placed all your happiness in their actions. Now Ooh. your whole world is shattered and you play the victim. And, and at that point, you're freaking miserable. That's a good they're point. pissed off. And because you took your happiness and you said, oh, they're behaving. They're going to rehab. I'm so excited for them. But really, it's about you. It's yeah. partially for them, but it's partially for you. So whatever portion you placed, whatever portion of your happiness that you placed in their actions, and whatever portion that is, when they don't act that way, guess what? It's going to crush your happiness. Yeah. And, and, and then they get to is, manipulate you back. That is such, that is such a great point. And we do like, we do go into detail about all of this. We just so you know, I think it was at the beginning. We, the family masterclass that we are offering is free now. Um, and it's two to three hours and, um, and we go into detail about all of this and how I know people listening to the podcast might think, oh, so I'm just supposed to let these people do what they want. Um, and and in in essence, yes. But do you have to be happy with their behavior? No, nobody's saying you have to be okay with it. But I want you to look at your relationship, even if it's with your spouse or your significant other. Do how do you have a vertical relationship? Because a lot of times when there's a heavy substance user it becomes this vertical relationship. You become like a parent right. to that person because this person is getting themselves into trouble or maybe they get very sick and they end up in the hospital or maybe, you know, whatever is happening in the dynamic, they are, they took on the role as the child. And so you've created this vertical relationships in, in those kinds of romantic relationships tend not to be very successful. They, people tend to be very unhappy in them because you're not, I'm not, you know, when I was looking for a, a, a mate, I'm not looking for somebody to be my parent and I'm definitely not looking to be the child in that relationship. Well, what's interesting about that is let's say that, that, uh, you have the power play. You are now on top. You are that this person has done what they're told. You're very happy and right. satisfied they're in rehab or whatever then they're going to their meetings then so they're on bottom you're on top on this vertical scenario of power and then they say fuck you i'm not going to the meeting mm. now they're on top so all it takes when you hand somebody your happiness based on their behavior you give you literally take your autonomy and you give it to them right and when you give somebody else your autonomy they can do with it whatever they want. They can 
they can flood you with love and it's a, and then you're a very happy sated person or they can at the flip of a switch go fuck you dude i'm tired of this response yeah I'm, right i'm, I'm right. not doing this i'm not and now your whole world is crushed because you handed it to them so maybe the better approach that we teach in the master class and we go into real detail with this is Let's figure out what you want for your life. Yes. Pull what, all that autonomy back. You separate from this person. What would make you happier in your life? I, and look at, I, I raised three sons and, you know, I, at any given moment, I had four men in my house. And when I, when this boys moved out and everybody, you know, they're all adults now. Um, I had to figure out what would make me happier. It took a little you know, it took some time to figure that out because I didn't know. I didn't know for a little while. Now, did I always have my happiness in these other people? No, no. I mean, there were things that I was doing for myself even back then. Well, you, you kept your career through all of I that did. and you had a very full life. I did. I did. And, and so, but, but, you know, you have to make a transition you know, when you're a parent, you have to make, he knows, you know, mm -hmm. he raised three kids too. Yeah. You have to make a transition from, you know, a lot of my happiness was wrapped up in what my kids were doing and, and supporting them in their schoolwork and in their athletics and things like that. And so it took up a lot of my time and I find ways to be happier doing that with them. And so when they left, I had to fill my time with something else, you right. know? Right. <laughs> That's right. And and you become really aware of that when the kids do go. Yeah, you do. Um, the other thing about being a parent, which is interesting, is there's there's such lessons about autonomy when a kid gets to be about 10 years old because they're their own person at that point. And they're, they basically can manipulate. I watch parents nowadays, especially with the current Oof. models of how child rearing happens. The kids run the household. It's it's tragic what's yeah, happened. Scary. And, um, but... But even when I was growing up, the, the kid isn't running the household. The, in my case, my father was a great father this way. He understood my autonomy. Yes. He understood the powerlessness he had over my behaviors. And he was vocal about it. He said he would tell my aunt who would call around looking for me when I would be gone for weeks sometimes in, in my teen years. And he'd go, just stop doing that. Mark will be fine. And she couldn't do it. She, she, had, to, she had to look for me. And he said, Mark's an adult. And she said, he's not an adult. And he goes, he is an adult. My father recognized that by 13, 14 years old, I was going to figure shit out on my own anyway. Yeah. And he was remarkably smart in that way and trusting in fate because he realized he did his best. It was going to well, chips. He, gonna... You're the youngest of 12. So by the 12, he was like, he, he got it. nothing I can do. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you the <laughs> most parents don't have enough kids to figure that out. That's that's true. <laughs> and, and when I talked to my older siblings, they had a completely different hands-on approach, parenting child relationship. I knew none of that, you right. know, now it was to an extreme in my household, which was, was. In, in many cases really bad. Um, because I think there's a balance in act and being a parent. But when, when it comes to families, this whole forcing people into rehab and manipulating in this charade that the treatment industry projects and then teaches, actively mm. teaches, is super damaging and causes this power play because the rehab becomes the object of discontent. And, and 
the parent wants it or the spouse wants that person in rehab and wants them to completely comply and become a compliant, you know, person in treatment. And the person in treatment goes, you know, I kind of agree with treatment. I kind of want to go. I want my life to get together, but fuck you. Well, you know, I'm not going to do it now. They get out of the rehab or they drink at the parent. Oh, or spouse yeah. Or, like I, I can do what I want. And now the power play has been switched just like that with a simple decision. That person gains the power back. And what if we just didn't have the power play at all? Why don't we take that off the table and say, my task is my task. Your task is your task. Let me just, that doesn't mean we can't live together. It just means it means that I understand who I am. You understand who you are. And if you're acting like a jackass, I don't need to be around you. Well, do you know what causes all of it? The, big, the premise that causes all of this is the disease mythology. That's exactly right. Because, oh no, you know, my spouse is an alcoholic, so therefore he can't control that's his right. behavior. He's so I must control. I him. must control it. That's right. He's you know his drinking is is not it's not under his control. Or my child is using heroin, so he can't control his behavior. It's not so now I have to do it. So so that everything, as Mark always says, everything downstream of powerlessness from that, a po- that's right. That's it's right. all poisoned. That's right. It's a poisoned well. If if the well is poisoned with the disease concept, which is a it's literally made up. It's a, it's, it's a charade. Real. It's a charade that we're playing. Then every single decision downstream of that charade is a charade. Yes. And, and nobody's getting better. No, it, it's, it's so horrible to watch. And I see families get fleeced for hundreds and hundreds, sometimes millions of dollars. They're terrified. Yep. And then their kid is dead. After five rehabs, expensive luxury rehabs. It's so tragic. If you want to see a a truly tragic story, um, Mark and I, on our YouTube channel, Mark and I watched the movie Beautiful Boy. It's an Amazon movie about a kid that ends up going to rehab and he ends up, he wrote the movie and works in, worked in the industry. Who knows what's happening to him now? But he, if you want to watch how a family gets fleeced, and buys in that movie shows it to a T and it's supposed to be this movie of triumph and all, all we saw in it was tragedy. Yeah. Well, he got sucked in and he's now he's a lifetime believer in nonsense in a charade. Yeah. Literally a made up thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really sad, but here's the good news. Once you know that it's a charade, you got to ask yourself, do I want to play? Yeah. Do I want to well, play in you it? know the truth. You can't unring that bell. Yeah. If, if you get our books and you read the freedom model and then you read the freedom model for the family and you see it for what it is, look at, we're not saying that, it, that people don't die from drug use. Of course they do. Um, we're not saying that sometimes families do the very best they can and things fall apart. Most I mean, times, most a, times, a lot of times. Yeah. And you know, but what we're saying is the reason things fall apart more than they have to is because there is so much wrong information and so many beliefs that now even people that have never been to treatment, right? Families that have never been involved in treatment implement these strategies that are so harmful, not just harmful to the individual, the substance user, but they're harmful to the relationship. They're harmful to the family as a whole. And, and so all of these problems can start without anybody ever 
stepping foot in a meeting or stepping foot in a treatment program because it's, it's so ingrained in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so if you want to learn the truth, if you want to learn the truth, read the books, read our books, come to our master class, come to our master class. It's three hours out of one day. That's all it's going to take. Yeah. Okay. If you have a spouse or you, or you're wondering yourself or you're struggling with an addiction or you, maybe you've read the freedom model and your family is steeped in AA, this masterclass will change them. They will understand finally, oh, I don't have to try to control this person anymore. Yeah. I can let go. Yeah. And that, that, that the odds are in, look at nearly everyone gets over the problem and, and so that's the thing that families don't know. That's they right. don't know that this is a hopeful situation, not a hopeless situation. Right. They can lick over their fear and start making logical decisions. And we'll give them a technique at the end of that masterclass, exactly how to make the separation of tasks happen. Yeah. And also actually become more loving as a result of that. Yes. Yes. You can, you can help someone that's struggling and improve your relationship with them right. simultaneously, regardless of what they choose to do. Yeah, that's big. That's it big. is a huge thing. So um, I think I think we've covered that topic pretty yeah. well. Yep. And um, I want to thank all of our listeners. I want to thank we everyone. The response to our masterclass has been really great. We're going to continue adding dates, probably about two dates per month um, over the coming months. And we'll post those on our website, thefreedommodel.org. We have a family resources tab. So you click that down. It'll say family masterclass. You'll be able to see all the dates and choose the date that works for you. Also, if you're listening to this on one of the you know platforms like Blueberry or, or Spotify, Spotify or Apple, um, give us a five-star review. It helps us reach more people. The more five-star reviews, the more the algorithm pushes us yep. and we reach new audiences, which is saving lives. Yes. I mean, there are a ton of recovery podcasts out there that spew the same old crap uh, that is not helpful. Yeah. And um, and so we want to make sure that that our voices are heard in that sea of misinformation. So, all right, everybody. All right, everybody. Have a, have a great week and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Oh, and I think this is going to come out right after Easter. So happy. I hope everybody had a happy Easter. <laughs> We want to send you a free copy of our revolutionary book, The Freedom Model for Addictions. To help us bring this incredible gift to you, we ask that you pay a small fee for shipping. Learn how tens of thousands of people have permanently solved their addictions without steps or meetings and make 2023 your best year yet. Give yourself or someone you love the gift of total freedom from addiction. Click on the link to get your free copy sent to you today. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? Well, that's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic, and we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? 
Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.